0: Thank you for reading, and it's good to be back. Um, Lovely to see you all again. And thank you to the guys who did music, because in some ways, if you had just come here this evening, listened to the words, sung the words, and engaged with what these guys were doing, um, that took you on a journey to think about who you are, what God's law tells you about yourself and your life, and then what God has done for you in Christ, and then what it is to be free. So thank you to those of you who picked the music, sang the music, and helped us um, as we worshipped. As we go through tonight, um, I apologise, first of all, to to Gilly and everybody at CE for getting your commandments in the wrong order. Um, That's totally my fault um, for thinking that I was to do this one. So apologies for getting them in the wrong order, but I hope um, that God knows that and has something to say to us all tonight. As we think about this commandment, do not covet. covet. Great, there's a, a little picture up on the screen to get us started. Have you noticed, I'm sure you have, um, different hashtags on social media. I am not computer literate, literate. I am other than a bit of Facebook and WhatsApp. Um, my social media world doesn't go much further. But have you seen regularly the, the hashtag and people put hashtag blessed? Stick your hand up if you have seen. I was going. To, yeah, there's some at the back have seen it. Um, I was going to ask, has anybody done it and stuck up hashtag blessed? It's a Bible word to, to say that we are blessed. And we might think a wee bit more about that later on. But I don't think it's in a Bible way that people are thinking about when they say, oh, I'm blessed. Well, certainly not all the time. Quite often you'll see people that have just bought a new car. And, and they've got this lovely shiny big Range Rover. And then they'll write below it, hashtag blessed. Um, I'm feeling as if I'm blessed. Maybe it's somebody else. And they've got all their family members graduating from college and getting their exams. You know where your parents are when you pass an exam? Um, I saw a daddy the other day when I was out visiting whose son had got 79 in a maths test and the daddy just couldn't get enough of bigging his boy up for doing so well in the test. Um, You've seen maybe those pictures of somebody in their graduation gowns, blessed. Or maybe somebody on a big night out, dressed up, out with their friends, with the person they want to be with, in the relationship they want to be in or the one that they think they want to be in, and they say, blessed. Guys, all of that emphasis, whether it's through social media, the influences that surround you, the adverts that you watch on TV, tell you a certain sort of picture of what it is to be blessed. I want to ask you a question tonight. What does it look like when you start living your life by that direction that the world gives you and tells you this is what it's really like to be blessed? To have all the stuff to do really, really well to get to the top of the pile um, to have people patting you on the back. What is it like when you start chasing that? Well, I was in the queue at Tesco the other night. There was a little girl behind me. She was tiny. She was, if she was P1, that was it. She might even have been nursery school. And she said, and turned around to her parents, I could hear her, she said, mommy, I need. And I was waiting for, I thought it was going to be, I need chocolate, or I need Coke, or I need the toilet. But it wasn't. It was, Mommy, I need money. Deadly serious. This wee girl, was a tiny tote, and she said, Mommy, I need money. Because she saw that the people in the shop were giving over cards and money, and you got what you wanted when you handed over the money. And she goes, Mommy, I need money. I thought to myself, why does she need money? Or why do you and I think that we need money? Let me take you on a wee journey. I think if I ask you, why do you need money? You might say to buy stuff. If I push you a bit further, why do you need money? You'll say, well, I need it. If I push you again, you'll say, well, I need it because somebody else has that thing and I want it and I need money to buy it. And if I push you even further and I say, but why do you need it? You might say back to me, Sam, because it'll make me happy. And I think in the world we live in, I want to stop you right there, that that's where tonight's commandment comes in, where God says to us, do not covet. Interestingly, we'll talk a wee bit about what coveting means, but it doesn't say don't grab don't steal it doesn't say buy to, don't buy too much and be really greedy it says do not covet i've tried to put into words that i think you might understand and that i find helpful to me what it means to covet let's go this is what i was thinking about during the week um let me see which way around i can see it in front of me here um don't let your heart buy the lie that you have to have what isn't yours I think that summarizes what this command is about. The, the, the command that God gives to Moses for the children, children of Israel is do not covet. Don't covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's servants, or your neighbor's animals. In other words, don't want for yourself all the stuff that actually isn't yours. Don't let your heart buy this lie that you have to have what isn't Yours. It's God's way of saying to us through His living word, through His perfect law, that shows us what He's like and how life works best. And He says, Listen, don't covet. Don't let your heart buy this lie that you have to have and that you have to get what isn't yours. So, for the first wee bit tonight, and I'll try not to speak too long, I'm going to talk to you for a minute or two about what it looks like when we say no to God's perfect instruction. He says, Don't covet. In other words, don't let your heart buy into this notion that you have to have what isn't yours what happens when you disobey that what happens when like a little child you throw the rattles out of the pram and you scream at mummy and daddy or as teenagers which a lot of you are if not most of you when you slam the bedroom door or um, absolutely storm if whatever phone rights and whatever negotiation you have with your parents and whenever that gets tampered with by your pesky parents when you go mad what is it like when we say, God, I don't want your rule? I don't want your rule. Do not call it. What happens? I want to show you two or three things, because you might say, Sam, that I'm not like that. I, I, I care about God's law. I really, really don't want to disobey God's law. Let me show you first of all, because it's like holding a mirror up to myself and hopefully holding it up to yourselves. Here's the first thing. It reveals my heart problem. I'll just take one to begin with. It reveals my heart problem. Oh, sorry, it did come up, did it? Yeah. If two come up, don't worry about it. That's my problem. That's my fault. We'll come to the next one in a minute. You maybe think that heart problems are for old boys like me and Gilly. And that when you get a bit older, your heart doesn't work as well. And you go out for a run and you're only going for like about 400 metres and you're in a bad way. Or you get sore and you get pains and that's a heart problem. I want to say to you tonight, that the Ten Commandments, and even particularly this one that we're looking at, shows me and you that we have got heart problems. Have you ever seen an ad on TV and gone, I really want that? So-and-so has got that thing, and I want it too. Have you ever been out with a friend, and they take the money out of their pocket in the shops, you've gone with them just to keep them company, and they splash out 70 quid on jeans, and you're going, I wish I had that sort of money just out of my pocket to spend on jeans or maybe somebody else you know and they've got the latest iphone and you go home and you say to your parents you say, look my friend has got this phone his parents have got it for them in other words you should if you really love me you should get me one too um and he gets so much data every month and he's got so many free calls and it does your homework for you and it, no it doesn't it's all these amazing things at this phone and essentially you're trying to sow a seed with your parents i need this too or maybe some of you fellas are girls and you've got a friend who has got a boyfriend or a girlfriend and quietly while you would never admit it to anybody else around you tonight you'll go to the end of the evening you'll go home and you'll go that's the one thing. If I could have that relationship that somebody else has I would be made. That would be it. I would be happy. I would be satisfied. Listen. Guys, if you've ever done any of those things that I have, um, I'll tell you one story very quickly. John will know this is true. Um, over playing sport in Ballymena, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I coveted, and boy did I covet a place in the cricket team. John will tell you more. He was pretty solidly on the team. He got picked most weeks. I was sometimes in, sometimes out. I sometimes got cross that I didn't get picked. I sometimes felt it was my right to get picked. I scored enough runs and I thought they were bound to pick me. I coveted what somebody else had. And it it chews you up. It actually gets you really, really cross because you want what maybe isn't yours. What does all that tell you? It tells you tonight that you've broken, I've broken, we've all broken the Tenth Commandment. We're lawbreakers. The Bible calls it being a sinner. My heart leads me to want what isn't necessarily for me. It shows me that I'm not perfect, that God's word actually is perfect. God's law is true. A bit like a mirror, it shows me my sin. It shows me the consequences of my sin. God should judge me for my sin. God should punish me for my sin. God should say, Sam, you can't be my friend because of my sin. I can't hide it. And it's got consequences. Did any of you see during the week the the story of the man not far from where I live, who got caught by the police, trying to run away from the police. He had been dealing in drugs. And at this stage, he'd hidden the drugs in a kinder egg. And he was trying to get it, do a getaway in his granny's disability living allowance car. And that, isn't that some way to do it? You're doing something you shouldn't do. You're trying to escape from the law. You're trying to escape the consequences. And eventually, you get caught. And he did. And not only did the law laugh, but everybody laughed. Guys, every time I read God's word, it shows me his perfection and it shows me my sin and I realized for all my excuses I should face God's judgment there was a guy in the bible a man called Achan one of Joshua's contemporaries and after they'd fought a battle and things hadn't gone as they, well, they, they had when they had eventually won the battle and took the spoils from the other country they knew they weren't to take any of the silver and the gold but Achan thought nobody will notice if I just take a wee bit he coveted a bit of the stuff and he buried it under his tent. And he took what wasn't his. And eventually judgment came to his tent and to his family. And it was horrible. Because he coveted. God's truth shows me who I am. Guys, tonight, here's the, this is the bad bit and then we get on to the good bit. It's a good thing that the Bible shows you what you're really like. It's a good thing that God's truth, God's spirit breaks through the pretending that we're all good. And shows us that actually we fall short. I say time and time again as I get older. I'm glad that God shows me through his law what I'm like. And his law doesn't save me. But it does show me what I'm like and what I need. Keep that in mind because I'm going to come back to that at the very end. Two. Coveting not only reveals my heart problem. But it also says something about me. It says that I'm saying, God, I don't trust you. You would say, oh, I'm at CE tonight. I would never tell God I don't trust him. I do trust God. Listen, when you covet, you're essentially saying, God, I don't trust you. I think I need this. I think my life would be better if I had that, if I was in that relationship, if I had that thing, if if, my, if I had that exam success. God, if I had that, it would be good. Things would be better. You're essentially saying in your heart, God, you don't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. Guys, that's the story of the Bible. God knows best. His promises are to provide for you if you'll trust him. Some of the favorite verses that many of us have in, in scripture, from Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on your own understanding, commit your ways to God, and he'll make your path straight. In other words, not through the detours, not down the shucks, not where there are problems. God will protect you and keep your your path straight. In Jeremiah, when God says to his people, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope, God is saying, listen, trust me, my plans are good for your life. Not bad, not disappointing, not second best. God's saying, listen, trust me, my plans are good. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, I want to lead you. It's so that he'll lead you by paths that are best for your life so that you'll not get lost. God says, trust me. Young folks, this is speaking to me before it speaks to you. When we covet, whatever it is that you covet, you're essentially saying, God, you don't know best. And every little deviation from his law, every little time that we say, I need that, we're saying, Lord, you don't know best. And guys, if I leave anything with you tonight, It's the learning of 45 years of life. And especially as I get older, God always, always, not only knows best, but wants what is best for his children. His law reveals my heart that I'm a lawbreaker. His law sometimes shows when I covet that I'm not trusting him. And then this is the worrying bit. and I want to read you a few verses in a wee minute. When I covet, I'm looking for life In all the wrong places. I'm looking for satisfaction in things that don't satisfy. Young people, you are made with a desire to find satisfaction, to find fulfillment, to live a life that that is fulfilled. But the problem is when we start to covet things, when we start looking in the wrong places for satisfaction, we discover that life disappoints us. Let me read to you just a few verses very quickly about Solomon from Ecclesiastes. And this is what he writes. He said, I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom. Let me go back a wee bit further, sorry, to, to verse four. He said, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I made reservoirs. I bought male and female slaves. I owned herds and flocks. I amassed silver and gold. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. And I became greater by far. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward of all my labor. When I surveyed all that my hands had done, all that I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind and nothing was gained under the sun. It's a crazy example. A man who chases pleasure and laughter and drink. I wonder, did he covet party goers? I'm speaking this week from the context of being a daddy whose daughter, who's nearly 17, went to a school formal and came home with plenty of stories, which I'm not going to tell you tonight. I wonder, did Solomon covet the party goers and go, Oh, I wish I could do that. And he did. his big building projects together achievements acquiring buying did he covet people who had fame and success in business he got herds and slaves did he want to outdo other people who had plenty of stuff and he wanted to show that he could get more relationships not satisfied with one or two or three or four solomon chased after as many relationships as he could he said i denied myself nothing and no matter what he got it didn't satisfy him he ultimately says it's meaningless In Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, it says this. Whoever loves money never has enough. If you love wealth, you'll never be satisfied with your income. Isn't that crazy? If you find yourself drawn after wealth and money, actually, you will never be satisfied. One of the richest men who ever lived was asked, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Just a wee bit more never satisfied. Actually, in in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, listen, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and into a trap. And listen to this, some have even wandered from the faith. I find that really sobering tonight. Guys, to become and to allow our hearts to become constantly covetous, wanting what isn't ours, can potentially take us to a place where we walk away from the faith. Just, just let that sink in tonight. That to allow your heart to become rampantly covetous in life potentially will lead you away from relationship with God. We have a big problem. I'm a coveter. I have broken God's law. It's as if there's a big no-entry sign into God's presence because of my sin. Is there no hope? Is there no other road? Is this just the terrible, horrible reality that we're trapped and caught in our inability to keep God's law? Thank God, there's another story. There's another road. What's the opposite of coveting? And this is where I'm going to finish tonight. Well, if you were to say, what is the opposite of coveting? I think it's this, one word. Contentment. I want to finish with this tonight because the incredible, wonderful goodness of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, God's generous call to you is to come and find contentment in him. Young people, you know this. The gospel is more than just forgiveness. I thank God at Christmas time that Christ came from heaven to earth to a manger. He lived a perfect life that I can't and will never live. He died in my place. He bore my sin. He was buried, dead and buried. And he rose again. And i th- we sang earlier on, hallelujah. I thank God that in Christ, he has written across my inability to keep the law. And he said in terms of Sam Finley, yeah, he really can't keep the law. But Jesus has kept it for him. And Sam's account is made clean because Jesus has kept the law that Sam can't. And I thank God for that. And maybe somebody here tonight, you're you're sitting, and even as I was singing, I was thinking, oh Lord, there are things in my life that aren't good. How can I get up and preach at CE? And then I'm reminded in my heart of the gospel and what God has done for me. And there's that realization, there can be this good news that your sin is washed away and forgiven and cancelled. Maybe just here tonight, somebody And you need to get to that place where you realize God has done this for you. Your inability to keep the law shows you what you're like, shows you that you have a heart problem, but God says, listen, I've done something for you. Maybe you've come to see you tonight, two weeks before Christmas, and last Christmas you weren't a Christian, and this Christmas you could be because you realize it's for you. But more than that, it's not just forgiveness. Forgiveness is brilliant. But the older I get, the more I'm learning that my happiness in life, my blessedness, that word again that I mentioned at the beginning, blessedness, my contentment comes from knowing Him and getting to know Him better. Let me put up one last slide. Instead of coveting, what if we became a people who were content? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, what do you need most in life? If you were to tell me, Sam, what can I not do without? Well, I'm going to suggest one thing, air. If, you, if, if I were to tell you all oxygen supplies to the hall at Eden Dairy were cut, in 20 minutes' time there'd not be many of us left standing, sipping, sleeping. After that, what do you need? When Jesus was preaching, the one thing that people needed more than anything else, and we need, is food. And in Jesus' day, the only food that you basically got was not McDonald's, was not Pizza Hut, was not mince and potatoes, was bread. That's what you got. You got bread. Bread for breakfast, bread for lunch, bread for tea. If you're very fortunate, you got maybe sometimes a wee bit of fish. Or the bread cooked a different way. But you got bread. Bread equaled life. If you didn't have bread, you didn't live. That was just the way it was. No bread, no life. And Jesus comes, and in John 6, and I'll not read it to you, but Jesus says, listen, I am the bread of life. Come to me, and you'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. I want to satisfy you. Later on in John 10.10, Jesus said, look, I'll give you life in all its fullness. Taste and see, the psalmist writes. God is good. Jesus was saying to people, listen, actually, I'm the only thing you can't live without. It's not the new iPhone. It's not the new jeans. It's not that relationship. It's not what somebody else has got. Jesus hits you right between the eyes and he says, listen, I'm the only thing that you can't live without. Has anybody seen the film A Star Is Born? No? Oh, have you heard and listened to the song Shallow? Shallows? Yeah, please nod. Um, It's sung incessantly in our house. Um, Nobody has joined in with Hannah yet in a duet, but... Listen to a song of your generation, one of the songs I hear all the time. Tell me something girl, are you happy in this modern world or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? Tell me something boy, aren't you tired trying to fill that void or do you need more? Guys, the answer to that question is yes, you do need more, but it's not money. It's not stuff, it's not the perfect relationship, it's not coveting success or wealth or fame, it's realizing that your contentment is only in Christ. Can I challenge maybe some of you tonight who are Christians, and I know a lot of you are, God is calling you and he's saying, listen, find your satisfaction." in me, in knowing me, in worshipping me, in following me, in serving me, in rejoicing in me. This is the cool conversation that a daddy got to have with his daughter 24 hours after the formal when we talked about all her friends and some of the avenues of satisfaction that they were exploring. Hannah's um, satisfaction actually last night at eight o'clock was in a hazelnut something latte. What do you get at Starbucks that's sticky and toffee-ish and toffee nut latte, one of those. And we had a conversation as we came away about the things that satisfy our hearts. God is saying, listen, in me, you can have satisfaction. He's calling you. He's saying, listen, it's possible to be content when you find your contentment in knowing Jesus. You can enjoy your friendships and your church and your studies and your opportunities, your home, your technology and your music. Don't worry. I know what you need. I love you and I love giving you good gifts. Christmas comes and I love it. I love Christmas. Do you think for one minute I would withhold presents from my children because I thought they'd been bad? Of course I wouldn't. Because I love them and I love to give. Don't you think the Heavenly Father, who's far better than me as a father, will give you all that you need and more when you find your satisfaction in him? So what I've discovered. content people in Christ, instead of coveting, become ridiculously generous. Just what happens when you realize you've got all you need in knowing Jesus? Then you start to give your life, your time, your energy. You're more interested in other people than you are in yourself. You're willing to give, and whether that's to people that need, or whether that's to mission work, you say, listen, I want to give. When i finish and leave you a choice will you buy the lie that you need what other people have or will you take the bread when jesus says i'm what you need probably two of my favorite stories in the bible are the lady at the well who came to jesus and she tried to find satisfaction in relationships she had been through a whole diary full of relationships didn't satisfy her, but Jesus did. And then there was another wee man in the New Testament who was probably about my height. His name was Zacchaeus. And what he really loved was money, as much of it as he could get. And then he met Jesus, and he found in him satisfaction. Let me read the last two verses of Psalm 16, and then I'm going to pray. Because the psalmist writes, he says this, He says, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body rests secure. Because you won't abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. And you'll fill me with joy in your presence. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. The Lord, through his command, don't call it. Says to you and me tonight, don't buy the lie that stuff will make you happy. Realize that Jesus, the bread of life, is where your satisfaction lies. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your living word and for its truth. I thank you for a challenge in our generation where constantly there's a grabbing for more. That you speak to us, you lovingly draw us tonight and you speak to us as children that you care for. And you show us through your word we've fallen short that we've broken your law but Jesus has kept it in our place and we can be forgiven and that Lord tonight when we come and satisfy ourselves in you then we begin to really live so Lord I pray tonight for these young people Lord I pray that they might show to their generation what it is to know contentment following Christ for it's in Jesus name that we pray